70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Xin chào mọi người, mình là Duyên, đang du học tại Hàn Quốc. Mình biết đến KBS World Radio trong khi Hi, my name is Duyên and I'm a Vietnamese student studying in Korea. I learned about KBS World Radio when I was getting ready to come to Korea. I started listening to the station to understand more about the Korean language as well as the culture, society, and politics. It is a bit difficult, but it helps me a lot with my studies because the programs are very high quality, unmatched by those of any other stations. I'm particularly interested in news, cultural events, and sports. I love how there are always various cultural events taking place in Korea. Congratulations on the 70th anniversary. I'll look forward to more programs on Korea's cultural events. Thank you. Seventy years with KBS World Radio. Seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Thursday, the 28th of December, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-ho. President Yoon Sang-yeol has called on the military to respond swiftly to any provocative action by North Korea before reporting it up the chain of command. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. In another end-of-year wrap-up, we highlight the best and worst political news of 2023 from Korea for our in-depth today with our regular political commentators. Stay tuned to find out what they picked. And coming up for Explore Korea, we'll be discovering more about everything Pyeongchang has to offer us beyond the ski slopes. We have all that and more on today's Korea 24. President Yoon Sang-yeol has called on his military to take immediate action in the event of a provocation by North Korea and follow up with a report up the chain of command. He made the remarks as he met with frontline units near the inter-Korean border. Our KBS World Radio news editor Gu Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to give us the latest on this as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, jang Okay, so let's get straight into it. What can you tell us? Well, the president made the remarks when he visited the army's 5th Infantry Division, as you said, a frontline unit in Yeoncheon County in Gyeonggi Province on Thursday to review its readiness. The president said the North is the only country in the world to stipulate in its constitution the preemptive use of nuclear weapons, adding that the reclusive state could engage in provocation at any time in line with its political goals. He then called on the troops to immediately take retaliatory steps and submit a report on such steps afterwards if the North instigates provocation, uh, stressing the need to sternly crush the enemy's intent to engage in aggression on site. This comes as the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has presented a 
combative task that will expedite efforts to complete preparations for a war during the ninth plenary meeting of the eighth. Central Committee of the Ruling Workers' Party. Can you elaborate? Yes, the North's state-run media, including the uh, Korean Central News Agency, said Thursday that Kim unveiled such a task on the second day of the plenary meeting on Wednesday. The report said Kim disclosed a combative task that will accelerate the completion of preparations for a war by the Korean People's Army, as well as sectors related to munitions industries, nuclear weapons and civil defence. The reports, however, stopped short of elaborating on such a task. According to the KCNA, Kim unveiled the plans to expand strategic cooperation with anti-imperialist countries and promote anti-imperial action and joint strike in the international arena. He was apparently expressing intent to strengthen strategic alliances with anti-US countries, including Russia, amid a new Cold War structure. Let's turn to other developments now. South Korea announced that it has signed a free trade agreement with the Gulf Corporation Council. Seoul managed to secure the deal before other Asian countries. What can you tell us? Well, the conclusion of the FTA negotiation comes as Seoul's uh, Trade Minister Andokun and GCC Secretary General Yassim uh, Mohamed uh, al-Badawi uh, signed a joint declaration of the bilateral FTA in Seoul on Thursday. Under the deal, South Korea will remove tariffs on 89.9% of all items, including liquefied natural gas, liquefied petroleum gas and other petroleum products. In exchange, the GCC member nations will lift tariffs on 76.4% of all products traded, including tariffs on 4.1% of goods traded. Through the agreement, the industry ministry is eyeing growth in exports of auto parts, vehicles, machinery and weaponry, adding that cheaper energy imports from Arab nations will enhance the competitiveness of South Korean exporters. Uh, Tariffs of 5% on South Korea's exports to the GCC will be phased over a time frame of up to 20 years. Meanwhile, in the world of business, Taeyang Engineering and Construction has applied for debt restructuring in a bid to resolve its struggle with a liquidity shortage due to real estate project financing loans. Can you tell us more? Well, according to the company's main creditor, Korea Development Bank, on Thursday, the application for a workout by the nation's 16th largest builder in construction capacity was received earlier in the day and the establishment of a creditors' meeting is forthcoming. The Builder is grasping with the maturity of an PF loan, which is based on the future cash flow from real estate development projects related to an office building project in Seoul's Songsu neighborhood worth 48 billion won or around 37 million US dollars, with other debt set to mature in early uh, January. According to the Financial Supervisory Service, Taeyang ENC's debts as of the end of third quarter were estimated at 1.9 trillion won with a debt ratio of 478.7%. Once the company submits a self-rescue plan, its creditors are expected to decide on the support with debt restructuring requiring consent from 75% of them. Turning to domestic politics, the main opposition Democratic Party railroaded bills aimed at launching two special counsel probes into First Lady Kim Gunny's alleged stock manipulation as well as the so-called 5 billion one club scandal. Can you elaborate? 
Well, the DP passed the bills during the plenary session on Thursday with its parliamentary majority as the ruling People Power Party boycotted the vote as the opposition seeks to look into bribery charges related to the Tejangdong land development scandal while also probing allegations regarding the First Lady's involvement in the case of Deutsche Motors stock price manipulation. The PPP denounced the bills as political ploys ahead of April's general elections. Despite the bills uh, being approved, the ruling party is expected to call for a veto by the president, uh, President Yun Song-yeol. Yun's office immediately said that the president plans to exercise his veto power once the bills are sent to him. In other news, the Russian government has warned of retaliatory measures against South Korea's export curbs against Russia. What can you tell us? Well, Moscow's foreign ministry spokesperson uh, Maria Zakharova said in a briefing on Wednesday that Seoul's latest decision to add more items to an export ban list at the request of the US is unfriendly, warning that it will harm South Korea's economy and industries. She then added that Russia has a right to respond to the move and that the South Korean people should not not be surprised by it. Russia's comments come after South Korea's trade ministry issued an advance notice of revisions to a proclamation on the export and import of strategic materials seeking to add 682 items to the list of materials subject to catch all license for export to Russia. And in response, South Korea said Russia must also make efforts towards bilateral relations. Yes, Foreign Ministry uh, spokesperson Im Susok said in a briefing on Thursday that Seoul is aware of the Russian government's announcement and that it will take measures against South Korea's uh, uh, ex- that it will uh, take measures against South Korea's export curbs against Russia. Im said Seoul had explained to Moscow about its plan to pursue such export restrictions before they were announced, adding that the two countries can continue to hold necessary communication. Im then uh, denied some media reports that Russia warned of retaliatory measures, citing that the original announcement in Russian state's response steps. That's where we're going to have to wrap it up for our news briefing today. Hijin, thank you for those updates. Thank you. time now for another end-of-year retrospective, and this time we're focusing on the events that shaped Korean politics and society this year. And we're doing that with the help of our two regular political commentators, and we've decided to do something a little different. We've asked them to each pick what they think was the best and worst news from Korea this year, and we'll get their reaction to each other's picks as well. So let's bring them in now and delve into their highlights and lowlights of the year. First, we have joining us on the line, affiliate professor Kim Byung-ju from the Hanguk University of Foreign Studies. Professor Kim, hello. Hello. And today we have Lord Professor Cho Hee-kyung from Hongyuk University joining us here in the studio. Professor Cho, hello to you too. Hello, it's good to see you. Okay, so often people ask, do you want the bad news first or the good news first? And I would say most of the time people go with the bad news first to try and get it out of the way and end on a more positive note. So that's what we're going to do as well. We're going to start with the worst of the year. And Professor Kim, let us start with you. What issue did you choose as the worst news of the year for us and why? 
The word worst, I don't know whether it works best here, but uh, I chose a bundle of two news items as uh, something that we should reflect upon, uh, not positive and uh, something that we can improve the system with. And that is the bundle of two issues relating to international events. Uh, that is uh, the Semangum Jamboree event in August, which created such a huge controversy here in Korea. That was the World and, Scout uh, Jamboree. Right, right. And uh, in November, the, the unsuccessful result of Korea's bidding for Busan Expo, hosting Expo event uh, in Busan, and that was that failed, uh, you know, spectacularly in November. Those two issues bundled together is my choice, and I chose uh, those two uh, as an issue of uh, issue that we need to work towards improving the system. Uh, about the Semangum Jamboree one, uh, there could be different aspects of this issue, but one I chose is the possible issue of the moral hazard and the issue of check and balance on local governments. Uh, in reading the reports about what happened in the Jamboree issue, uh, the, the preparation for it, we heard this local officials taking foreign trips to the countries uh, that never hosted Jamborees before, but they still uh, you know, try to defend their uh, tra travels. They're saying they're going to learn from this country's experience, which didn't make any sense at all. So basically what we learned this time is the moral hazard and the issue of lack of check and balance in the way local governments operate is very serious here in Korea and something that we need to really uh, improve upon. Uh, this case remind me of the cases of even like opening overseas offices by uh, provincial governments and city governments. Why do they open overseas offices? Well, critics would say it's because they want to uh, give time to the officials to spend, enjoy their life overseas, playing golf and uh, enjoying luxuries overseas and stuff like that. And that's just one example of how things can backfire if we lack check and balance on local governments. Uh, that's one issue. And then Busan Expo case, I guess it relates to the system improvements issue of how do we improve foreign intelligence gathering. That's what I want to uh, highlight upon because, you know, this reading what's going on in the international community is critical for our our success, not only success in you know uh, creating this kind of achieving these kind of goals of hosting expo games but also for our survival as the way for example what happened in Israel reminded us Mossad world's renowned top quality foreign intelligence uh, organization failing to read what what's happening in Gaza resulting in such a fiasco there reminded us if Korea as a country fails in reading how, you know, reading the minds and operations of the world community, what kind of uh, consequences we will have. So I'm just saying this cases of Jamboree and uh, the case of Busan Expo reminds us that, you know, rather than just trying to send people to jail and holding people, specific person accountable, uh, you know, we should just do a in-depth studies on how system failed in these two seemingly separate but related cases and we should really give time to go over 
and think about how we can improve our systems. So I chose those two as one set of quote-unquote negative news. Right, so two major embarrassing moments that perhaps tell us uh, more about how local governments uh, are run and also the lack of Korea being able to read the room internationally, to read the international pulse uh, as well. Uh, Professor Cho, what's your take on Professor Kim's picks? Well, I don't think there are many people who would disagree that the World Scouts Jamboree was possibly the nadir of uh, our annual experience uh, in South Korea, not only because it was so widely covered uh, in international media as to how terribly things went wrong, but also because of the needless inconvenience, not only inconvenience, but actual uh, illnesses and injuries and pain and suffering that the young people actually had to go through, Uh, not only to mention the fact that they didn't get to experience the kind of uh, things that they were led to uh, believe that they would go through in coming to the Jamboree uh, uh, organized by the Scouts organization. So that was originally my first pick, followed uh, very closely by the Busan Expo uh, fiasco, but for different reasons. But since Professor Kim had the first dibs on those, I actually (laughs) picked something else. But I have to say, I I agree with his choices, but I somewhat have a different view on why uh, those things were terrible. And particularly with regard to Busan Expo, I don't know whether the problem was actually about intelligence gathering. Obviously, our, I think, overseas diplomatic network has suffered um, in the past uh, couple of years because there are lots of gaps in where personnel should be and so forth. But I think there is also a contributory part in the problem of emperor's clothes. Uh, So people not listening to what others are telling them because it's bad news and they don't really want to hear it. And I think uh, Yongsan presidential office is particularly guilty in that aspect. Uh, I, I, as I understand from reports that I have heard and read, the president gets so upset when he hears news that he doesn't like, that people are actually afraid to tell him what, how things really are on the ground and just give him the good news. And I think he was really surprised that we made such a bad showing in the result. Whereas uh, leading all the way up to it, I think people mm. in the know and people who were actually uh, you know, operating knew that the result wasn't going right. to be pretty. So, yes. That, of course, also led to President Yun issuing a rare apology as well. Uh, you said perhaps these two events would have been your first pick, but you did end up picking something else for your pick for the worst of your year, Professor Chaw. So can you tell us what you did end up picking and why? I actually focused on what is not there and uh, in particular what is not being reported in the media because the media has really big responsibility in uh, ensuring that we have a healthy, thriving democracy. And I don't think that they have been doing their job particularly well, uh, especially this year. For example, there was the COP28 in Dubai uh, not uh, that long ago. But how much have we actually 
uh, heard or read in the media about it? How much coverage has there been in, in the press? The president has made some 13 overseas trips this year, uh, most of them to uh, places far and wide. But he chose not to attend COP28. Now, he went to Davos, the World Economic Forum, but he uh, refrained from going to what's possibly more important than the Davos Forum, which is about climate change, which is threatening our very existence. And we are seeing with our own eyes the kind of havoc that it's wreaking on our environment, on our industries, uh, uh, the natural species, uh, and, and all of that. But we don't really have a proper policy regarding how we're going to cut down on our greenhouse emissions. Uh, and he didn't really, uh, he doesn't really seem to take any interest in this. And it's reflected in, in the media, I think, and the co co coverage or the lack thereof. For example, we were awarded the fossil prize at COP28, which is the the prize given to the worst performing nation in terms of uh, reducing uh, carbon emissions and doing making efforts in terms of trying to ameliorate the effects of climate change. And ever since the award had, had been started to be given out, uh, it was the first time the South Korea actually received it. Uh, but I think I read, I could literally count on one hand the number of uh, media that actually covered this news item. Uh, things like that, um, not to mention, you know, no follow-up regarding the uh, the responsibilities um, of the, the Itaewon disaster. There were some reports about the trial, but, but uh, the spotlight has obviously gone well away from that. Um, the fact that the parents of the victims are doing this, you know, really painful kind of um, sort of almost like penance type walk around, the, walk, walking on their like hands and knees around the National Assembly to try to draw attention mm. to the need for special law regarding it. Um, the right. fact that not no coverage of investigation regarding Yangpyeong Highway, uh, the the scandal surrounding the First Lady, you know, there's almost virtual kind of cone of silence around right. that. And I really uh, think that the media should be doing a better job. Right. So perhaps a bit more metaphorical uh, pick, the lack of rigorous journalism in Korea this year. Professor Kim, what do you make of Professor Cho's pick? Well, I think they make a really good sense. And especially if I may add a few uh, like uh, additional angle to it. Uh, international news, I think that's what Professor Cho mentioned uh, at the beginning, uh, climate change cooperation. But if we broaden the scope a little bit, international coverage issue in Korea is terrible. Uh, you know, the Korea is one of the top nations in the world we talk about. We, we like to say it all the time. But the way Korean public is paying attention to international news, the depth and width is terribly lacking. And that has to do with the way Korean media is working. Korean media uh, uh, allocates much more time and coverage to this terrible, sensational rhetorics issued by politicians in Yeido. And I'm just hoping that uh, the media could find ways to allocate more time and coverage on international news. Of course, it may have to do with the way they make money. Uh, they need clicks. They need sales. Uh, they need news that uh, readers and listeners and watchers uh, will uh, pay more attention to, uh, 
but I think they can find a way to package international news in the way that could attract greater public attention and then therefore make uh, better uh, business, if you will. So that's important. And altogether, going beyond international news, it's critical. Media is a critical element and player within democracy. And uh, those issues then need substantive uh, discussion, uh, you know, public consensus building. Uh, um, my hope is that next year, this year, 2024, we'll uh, get to see more of these kind of issues being shared through the media so that we can have more of the shared discussion rather than being polarized, mm. uh, you know, uh, points being being carried by social media, if you will. Sure. Let's not to dwell too long on the negatives before we'd feel too down. Instead, turn to the best of 2023 as well now. Professor Kim, back to you. What issue did you choose as the best news of the year and why? Well, there could be several on this case as well, but I just happened to choose the beginning, the starting of the discussion, uh, public discourse and government's attention and drive behind increasing number of medical doctors here in Korea. Uh, I chose this news because this is a good example of democracy in work, in in operation. Uh, Basically, we know, uh, based on media coverage, that the public opinion, predominant, uh, you know, majority in the public supports the idea of increasing number of uh, medical doctors here in Korea. And behind that, uh, with that public support behind, government seems to be driving this one uh, going ahead. And uh, going over and beyond the issue of offering medical service to the people, uh, I, wanna, uh, I want to understand this as a national human resource system policy here. Uh, we, we, we've been hearing all the time that the absolute majority of high school graduates wants to go to medical school. Is it because medical profi- pro- profession here in Korea is viewed uh, upheld in such a high esteem? Is that why, uh, you know, taking care of parents is, uh, patients is such a noble uh, job? Is that why all these high school graduates wants to go to uh, medical school? No, it's not. Uh, it's because medical doctors here in Korea are getting paid the highest level among the OECD countries. They're, according to the reports, they are getting paid about seven times more than average workers here in Korea. And some medical, uh, you know, journal uh, journal. Uh, media reports say that they are getting their average pay, uh, annual average pay is about 230 million won per year. And what that means basically is that medical doctors here in Korea has been extremely successful mm. in uh, limiting market entry. And by limiting market entry, they've been uh, exercising market power and uh, they've been limiting competition and they've been enjoying rents right and that's a great inefficiency and injustice and now as i see the government moving taking steps forward based on absolute public support uh you know uh towards the direction of increasing medical doctors i think it's a good sign and good example of korean democracy uh that's working so professor Cho, the beginning of the increase in the medical student emissions quota and what it signifies about democracy. That was Professor Kim's pick. A worthy pick, Professor Joe? My pick. I mean, what, what, do you, what was your take on uh, What's your take on Professor, Professor Kim's, Kim's pick? pick? I see. Um, well, if it actually progresses uh, 
then I would say, yes, I agree that that is a good beginning. But I'm still somewhat skeptical because I haven't really seen uh, the nitty gritty or the details about how it's going to be implemented. And in fact, I don't even know what kind of an increase in uh, student intake or the, the quota for medical schools will actually be uh, implemented and from when. I am really concerned that this might go the way uh, of other policies like reforms of the pension system or the education reform. Uh, just uh, over the last few weeks, the education ministry has brought out what they claim to be a reform that's going to change the uh, the the admission uh, test for universities and also ease the burden of private academies for parents. But when you actually look at it, it's going back some you know decades in terms of reforms and, pro- and progress that we've made in the education system and taking away choices from students. So if uh, this increase in number of doctors is actually going to be impl- implemented in such a way that right. it addresses the imbalance between the cities and the provinces, the countryside and uh, and the capital, and also ensure that uh, the supply mm. is where the demand is, then yes, I think that's a, a really good beginning. But uh, just a mere increase in quota, just in, in terms of number of intake, is just not going to make much difference. So that's where I'm slightly skeptical about this. Okay, so you want to see how it's implemented. So then, which issue did you pick as the best news of this year and why? We haven't really covered much about entertainment news, but my pick was the fact that the movie uh, Spring of Soul has gone through the 10 million uh, mark in terms of viewing numbers. Right, so this is Horebom in Korean. The official English title is actually 1212 the day. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, referring to the date of the military coup that happened after the assassination of President uh, Park Jong-hee. Now, I picked this because uh, after COVID, I think we were quite concerned that the the movie industry was really going downhill. People became used to uh, watching movies on OTT and basically uh, at home in the comfort of their own um, own home and the movie st- industry was really sort of declining uh, and suffering in competition to other mm. streaming services and um, OTT services but this is showing that if you have uh, a story and um, content that people uh, are interested in and attracted to then you can still offer uh this kind of entertainment which is going to bolster the industry and also uh, I was pleasantly surprised that so many people went to see it despite knowing the ending (laughs) how it actually ends so you've got the spoiler already there Uh, and the fact that it's actually making younger generation more interested about modern history of Korea and also making them think that we should not have a repeat of this and possibly drawing analogies as to what happens when there's too much power concentrated in one particular group. Right, so Professor Kim, Professor Cho uh, Cho chose the success of the historical and political film 1212 The Day as her pick for the best news of 2023. Uh, Final reaction, Professor Kim? 
Uh, about that movie, Twelve Twelve uh, a Day, I have a mixed feeling. One positive one is political sense. Uh, the, we through these movies like this, we establish our collective memory about how our democracy should progress. And this movie tells us how Korea uh, failed once at that time in controlling the groups that monopolizes violence. This is a very important issue for political development all around the world. And Korea failed at that time and allowed second military coup in our history and extension of dictatorship. So establishing a firm collective memory on that one is a very important uh, milestone. And it's a, one of the ways further strengthening Korean democracy as we need continue to have this kind of uh, political reform going forward. A lot of people here in Korea believe we need to still reform public prosecutor system, for instance, as a group that monopolizes quote-unquote violence. So I think this will become an important asset, all positive, number one. But however, number two, uh, a little bit of mixed feeling uh, in the sense of humanity, the way this society deals with the issues of humanity and art here. The director, Kim Sung-soo, the movie director himself, acknowledged that he was trying to make this movie kind of really black and white, one-dimensional and monocausal. Uh, and I think it had produced its intended result in making everything very clear to the people and everything. But, but the way I see it as a movie lover myself, uh, I'm concerned whether movies like this, kind of one-sided movies, could be kind of short of uh, taking Korean public further forward in terms of adding mm. more subtlety right. and depth in the way we understand history mm. and, and humanity and human nature. And so, you know, like other movie directors around the world, like uh, Martin Scorsese or Coen Brothers, when they depict the, villain, uh, depict the villains, they tend to add more multidimensional descriptions to this kind of stuff. So, you know, because the way I've seen Korean public understanding history, mm. I wonder movies like this could actually contribute right. a lot more than what we think the way they are being created. So what I'm seeing is I'm I want, I'm expecting and hoping to see more movies like this, but with greater complexity and more advanced structure than the one that we have this time. We are out of time, so we're going to have to wrap it up there. Professor Kim, Professor Chua, we appreciate your interesting and thoughtful picks to help round off the year, and we appreciate all the analysis and opinions you have provided throughout the year as well to help inform our listeners. Thank you once again, and we look forward to speaking to you both in the new year. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 41.78 points, or 1.6% on Thursday, to close the day at 2,655.28. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also jumped, climbing 6.78 points, or 0.79%, to close at 866.57. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 6.21 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,288 won. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. It's time now for us to take a look at some of the other news stories that have been trending online today here in Korea. It's time now for Korea Trending. And for that, we have joining us in the studio, news editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. OK, what do you have for us first today? 
Well, the Israeli embassy in South Korea deleted a video they produced showing a hypothetical case of Seoul being attacked by Hamas militants. The controversial video, which was initially posted on Tuesday, was made to raise awareness about the situation in Israel to Koreans by showing a video of their country being under attack by Hamas. But after a public backlash, it was removed the next day. Okay, so to try and better explain for our listeners, let's take a listen to the audio from that video. And can you please help explain what's actually going on for us? Sure, it starts with a mother watching her daughter sing in a school recital. And then suddenly the sound of the country's emergency alerts can be heard. And the building they're in is bombarded by air raids. The mother and her daughter try to hide before armed assailants come and kidnap the woman. The child cannot be seen and the video ends with a shot of the red gloves she was wearing on the floor. The words, imagine if it happened to you, what would you do, come on the screen. And then fatalities and other facts about Hamas attacks on Israel are listed. As you mentioned earlier, there was strong public criticism regarding the video here in Korea, right? Right. Even the Korean government expressed concerns and asked the video to be removed. A foreign ministry official said the attack by Hamas cannot be justified, but wrongfully portraying the security situation and defense capabilities of Korea to accentuate that point is wrong. However, this isn't without precedent. This is not the first time that an Israeli embassy has produced a what-if video about the Hamas attack. Yes, last month, the Israeli embassy in the UK posted a video of a hypothetical, hypothetical rather, Hamas attack in London. Mommy, I'm scared. I know, baby, I know. It's all going to be over soon, OK? So the video follows the same storyline as the Korean one, but the main character is a mother with two children. It has received over two million views online and it hasn't been taken down. Right, but I guess considering the security situation here with North Korea compared to the UK, uh, the video hit home rather differently. Uh, The video we can perhaps say was misguided by the embassy. That's how the Korean people have viewed it. But it perhaps shows how perhaps desperate Israel is as well in trying to win this uh, PR battle after widespread condemnation of the continuing conflict in Gaza. Uh, But I think the backlash will certainly cause the embassy to think twice about such content here. Okay, let's move on to our second story of the day now. What do you have for us? Let's, uh, let's uh, shift gears a little bit now. Appreciating cultural or artistic performances and exhibitions can be quite expensive sometimes, especially for the younger generation who are barely getting by with allowances from parents or part-time jobs. That's why the Ministry of Culture, Sports and Tourism on Thursday unveiled that it is making some welcome changes. Okay, I presume it was some degree of discounts or financial support. Can you give us the details? Yes, indeed. A culture and arts pass will be given to some 160,000 youths aged 19. Each pass grants the holder around 150,000 won for purchasing tickets for cultural and artistic events like performances and exhibitions. That's around 115 U.S. dollars. The government is benchmarking a program carried out in European countries, including Italy and France, to encourage young people to take greater interest in such activities. But their program involves providing up to around 500 euros or some 550 U.S. dollars. Providing great opportunities for younger people to learn to appreciate the arts at an early age, I'm sure, will definitely be welcomed by those in the industry, though, and understand that there's more. Yes, cultural support funds will be expanded drastically. For this year, around 30 million won in support funds were provided per project. But by 2027, the sum will be increased all the way up to 100 million won. So that's an increase from 23,000 to $77,000. 
Various support funds for artists will be introduced next year to cover 15% of the cost of their creative projects. The funds will then be expended to cover 25% of the cost by the year 2027. Another big move is providing greater support to ensure ample performance venues for artists. For national artistic organizations, the number of youth members accepted will be increased to 205 from the current 95. Yes, well, hopefully these new changes will help support the culture and the arts. Let's uh, move on to our last story. What else has been trending? Moving on to the world of sports, now over in the English Premier League, Huang Yichan reached new highs with a brace in Wolverhampton Wanderers' 4-1 win against Brantford on Wednesday local time. Yes, the Korean star is having a great season with Wolves and he in fact reached double figures in goals for the first time in the EPL. The two goals in the 14th and 28th minute were his ninth and 10th of the season. Huang has become only the second South Korean player to score at least 10 goals in a Premier League season, the first to reach that record being Son Heung-min, who plays for Tottenham Hotspur. With his latest feat, Huang moves to sixth place in the EPL's top scorer list and is just one goal behind Son. As for the Wolves, they climb to the 11th spot in league standings with seven wins, four draws and eight losses. Yes, it's quite impressive that Huang helped secure the win for the team with his early goals. But there were some moments that made fans, both in Wolverhampton and Korea, that made them gasp with concern. First of all, Huang was voted man of the match, a very impressive accomplishment considering he only played the first half for 45 minutes. Huang was seen grabbing his lower back during injury time. Thankfully, Wolves coach Gary O'Neill told reporters that the injury wasn't as serious as it seemed. Still, he will undergo extensive testing and treatment just to be safe. This is a very concerning development for the Korean national team, though they're hoping to have Huang in tip-top shape for the AFC Asian Cup kicking off in January. Yes, and of course, he was included in the final roster for the competition, which was also announced today. Korea is aiming to try and win that competition, but it will need all its best players like Huang to be able to do that. So fingers crossed he is OK. That's where we're going to wrap it up for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. It's time now for us to discover more about Korea and the historical, cultural and travel highlights the country has to offer in our weekly segment, Explore Korea. This week, we have our travel explorer, Hannah Roberts, with us once again with another place to visit on the peninsula. Hannah, hello. It's great to see you again. It's good to see you too. OK, so where are you taking us today? So since the winter is uh, here, (laughs) I thought what better than to introduce a popular spot in the winter for people to visit. And that place is, of course, Pyeongchang. Uh, it's famous for being the host city of the 2000 Winter Olympics, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as such, it's uh, an ever popular spot for people to go skiing and snowboarding throughout the snowy season. But what I want to do today, actually, is introduce some other places in and around Pyeongchang that people might be interested in seeing while they're there, other than skiing and snowboarding. Right. OK, so you're introducing us to Pyeongchang Except the skiing yes. and snowboarding. <laughs> Except the thing then. it's most famous for. <laughs> sure, but there's far more to Pyeongchang than just the slopes. That's so right. I think this is a, a great uh, a recommendation indeed. So with that in mind then, can you reintroduce us to Pyeongchang? Of course. Pyeongchang is a county located in Gangwon province, uh, which is the northeasternmost province of South Korea. 
The province is also home to well-known places like the beach towns of Gangneung and Yangyang, super popular in the summer. Mm. Uh, the beautiful Sodaksan National Park in Sokcho, which is mostly famous in the autumn. And the tourist favorite, Nami Island. <laughs> uh, but winter is when the region's amazing mountains take center stage and it becomes the winter sports capital of the country. Some of the most popular ski resorts in the country are located there. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the area played host to the 2018 Winter Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. As such, when people visit in winter, they are most likely to try out the slopes, uh, visit the Olympic centers and stay in the resorts around there. Sure. But you said that Pyeongchang has more to offer than just snow sports. So could you introduce us to some places people might like to visit? Indeed, I can. Uh, considering Pyeongchang is famous for skiing, it must in turn be famous for its mountains, right? Right, of course. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah, right. In fact, uh, Mount Ode, or in Korea, Odesan, is one of the top mountains for hiking in Pyeongchang. Mm. Uh, maybe you don't feel so steady on a pair of skis or on a snowboard, but your feet are feeling good on your feet <laughs> and you still want to experience the beautiful outdoors and those uh, snowy views of the, the region in the winter. Uh, Odesan's diverse trails cater to hikers of all skill levels and even without the views, uh, the, sorry, even without the snow, the views are stunning. Yes, the weather is brisk as well for long hikes, but yeah. I'm sure it can be enjoyed during the rest of the year as well, particularly during uh, spring and autumn Definitely. weeks as well. Okay, so that was Mount Ode. What's next? Uh, we're not quite moving on from Odesan yet, uh, as the, the next two places are going to lump them in together. They're actually lo located on Odesan. Fine, okay. They are the Buddhist temples Wuljongsa and Sangwonsa. Mm. Uh, both of them are historically significant temples, having been constructed by the uh, Buddhist monk Chajang, who is recorded as, having, uh, recorded as having a huge influence on the adoption of Buddhism as the religion of the Shilla dynasty. Right. Uh, Wuljongsa is now one of the head temples of the Choge order of Buddhism which is the main order of Buddhism here in Korea. And between the two temples, they house a plethora of national heritage items, including the oldest bronze bell in the country and a unique stone pagoda exhibiting characteristics of those that were created during the Goguryeo period, uh, which happened over 2,500 years ago. Okay, great. So tucked away on Odesan are two Buddhist temples with a lot of significance and history to discover as well. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that there's a festival that people can enjoy during the winter in the region as well? There are indeed. This is Korea we're talking about. <laughs> there is definitely a festival. <laughs> uh, and in fact, some very popular ones too. The first one I'd like to mention is the Taegwalyong Snow Festival that is held every year in January and has been since 1993, in fact. Uh, in fact... The upcoming January 2020-24 festival will mark the 30th occasion of the festival being right. held. Okay. Uh, they did miss one due to COVID regulations. Mm. Uh, so this one will be the 30th anniversary and I think it'll be a great celebration. Uh, previous years have seen snow and ice sculpture exhibitions, a tobogganing area, outdoor food grilling and a light tunnel for a beautiful nighttime stroll. Mm. Uh, and even possibly the, the most interesting part of the festival to me <laughs> is a so-called naked marathon. Uh, in which oh participate yeah i know <laughs> i was shocked when i read about it uh but then i learned that it's just very little clothes it's not actually naked uh, right but... <laughs> okay yes so i was going to ask that. i know this is korea <laughs> so it's not fully naked uh, not fully it, naked okay so they um, were, are wearing something they are wearing okay. something they're just wearing okay. very little uh but participants run a five kilometer or ten kilometer race in uh 
as few clothes as they wish to. Uh, as long as they're wearing something, <laughs> they have to wear something. Right, right. As long as they're, you know, uh, keeping their private parts hidden. Indeed, you were saying, okay, yeah. yes, got to keep it family friendly. Exactly. Uh, the festival is really popular, um, you know, and I think it's a, a place where people can find joy and fun in the very harsh cold of the middle of the winter that we have here in Korea. Mm. Yes, it certainly sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Hopefully, not too much fun yeah. within the <laughs> marathon, but yes, uh, certainly sounds great. Uh, you've mentioned that there's another festival in the area that you've wanted to talk about that's pretty popular in the winter as well. Yeah, that's right. It's the Pyeongchang Trout Festival. Uh, it does sound a little bit funny to have a festival all about trout, uh, <laughs> but it's the festival is less about the fish itself and more about you know the activities attached to it, especially being a winter festival. Right, uh, and it looks like. An absolute blast. <laughs> uh, attendees can try their hand at ice fishing, either with a lure from above the ice, uh, or you can even get in the water and try catching one by hand. Mm, wow. In that cold water. Don't mm. know how people do it, uh, but it, it, it does look like a lot of fun. Uh, and if you make a lucky catch, you can actually take your fish to a nearby participating restaurant to be prepared and cooked right away, or you can grill it on site at the festival too. They have grilling stations wow, for you to okay. eat it there. Uh, now, as well as ice fishing, there are lots of other activities, including ice skating, snow tubing, uh, traditional sledding, uh, sledding that was traditional in Korea, uh, snow rafting, and even ice go-karting, which doesn't sound very safe to me, but does look <laughs> like fun. Um, and they even have bare-handed fishing, fish-catching competitions. Right. A bunch of people get in a pool and try and catch the biggest fish that they can. Uh, needless to say... I think the festival sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, I've heard it's very, very popular, so it's best to make reservations. Uh, however, the event does usually run for the whole month of January, sometimes longer, actually. So there's a lot of chance for everyone who wants to to attend. Uh, the website for information on the Pyeongchang Trout Festival can be found at festival700, that's uh, the numbers, 700.or.kr, and it's on the website that you can find all the information on the activities and their prices, as well as being able to make your reservations. Well, Hannah, Pyeongchang certainly sounds like a great place to visit in the winter, even if you're not into skiing or snowboarding. There seems to be plenty going on <laughs> uh, for everyone to enjoy. So then finally, how can we get there? To get there from Seoul, there's a direct train to Pyeongchang Station from Cheongyangni Station, which takes around two hours. And then from there, I would recommend actually taking a taxi or driving a car, if you can, to the spot that you're trying to reach, as it is a mountainous area mm. with a lot of winding roads. And public transport can take a long time to reach where you're going. <laughs> uh, of course, if you're looking to attend a particular place or event, uh, like one of these festivals, the best thing would be to do uh, the best thing to do would be to visit the website to find how they suggest getting there. Mm. Uh, most ski resorts, if you are going to go to the area for skiing, most ski resorts and some of the events in the area actually have shuttle buses that run from Seoul okay. and uh, even from other locations, which can come in very handy. Indeed. Right, that's all for our Explore Career this week. And it's also where we say goodbye to you, Hannah, as well, one it last is, time, yeah. as you are hanging up your Explore Career <laughs> boots with us. Right? I am. Yes, well, we're very sad to see you go, but we wish you all the best going forward. Thank you so much. It's been a, an absolute pleasure to be here and share all this information about this country that I call home and love so much and working with the, the team here as well. Yeah, thank you really for all the recommendations that you have provided for us. 
I have a feeling that we're going to see you again soon, hopefully at some point. Possibly, probably. <laughs> I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not gone forever. <laughs> I'm sure. not gone from Korea. I'm still around. Sure. Hopefully we'll <laughs> see you again. In the meantime, take care and thank you once again. Thank you so much. Before we go, we'd like to remind our listeners once again, our shortwave listeners in South America, particularly of some changes, KBS World Radio's English service on the frequency 9.580 megahertz targeting South America will unfortunately be coming to an end from January 1st. Instead, we'll be airing the same programming on 9.570 megahertz. For more details, please go to the PR room on our website, world.kbs.co.kr. We appreciate your understanding. That's where we close out our show today. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow. So we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. World Radio offers all you need to know on Korea through its various programs. Are you into the latest K-pop tracks? Then K-pop Connection is your fix. Brian Ju brings you the best of K-pop and K-culture. On Korea 24, host Kwon Jang-ho helps listeners digest all the biggest stories coming out of South Korea. Keep up with what's happening on the peninsula by listening to Korea 24. Learn about Korean folktales on Mondays with Global Audiobook, Once Upon a Time in Korea. If you're a bookworm, don't miss Books on Demand, a program that introduces Korean literature to the global audience every Tuesday. Our Wednesday program, Korea Today and Tomorrow, provides news on the latest diplomatic developments in and around the Korean peninsula. Want to go deeper than K-pop? Sounds of Korea takes a closer look at various traditional music every Thursday. KBS World Radio is your go-to channel for all things Korea. Tune in! KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in the case of a cold snap. Ensure to keep your home warm, especially if you have children, elderly family members or patients living with you. Those who have high blood pressure or weak heart conditions must warm up exposed parts of their bodies, especially their heads. If you experience extreme chills, fatigue, slurred speech, loss of memory or sense of direction, visit a hospital immediately as these are symptoms of hypothermia. If you experience numbness or paleness in your hands, feet, ears, nose or any tip of your body, this could be frostbite. Take a warm shower. If the symptoms persist, go to the hospital. If you plan on exercising, make sure you stretch sufficiently to avoid injuring your joints. If you plan on leaving your house empty for a long time, leave your taps running slightly to prevent the pipes from freezing. Please check out our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures. KBS World Radio